Now this, as I was saying last week, this is taken from the video that we watched, The Atheist Delusion. And I'm going to be elaborating on a lot of the points that were made and, um, and hopefully getting us in the mindset of how to reach people with the gospel in today's world. And, and this is the interesting thing about today. I was, I was speaking to a guy last night on the phone, Ben Price from Melbourne, who follows our ministry. He knows Joe Schimmel and Ray Comfort. He knows them all over there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was saying to him that in this day and age, uh, the, where science has come has only brought about far more evidence for the existence of God than less. Like back in Charles Darwin's day, when he looked under the microscope at a cell, at a simple cell, all it looked like to him under the microscope was a glob of jello. It just was this little glob with a little black sort of center, and they just thought, you know, it looked sort of like a tadpole egg or something, you know. So it wasn't, didn't mean much to him. So, of course, he could theorize that it's just that's all really it is. But when we look under the microscope today, under, with these high-powered microscopes, we can see that they're not just jello. They're advanced technological factories, you know, with power plants and, and um, the ability to regenerate itself and make itself a, a, an identical copy. And it's got machines running around that they've actually been able to look into and they've got like cogs and rotors and, you know, all the things you'd expect to see in a, in a motor. So these, they're clearly under the microscope, scientists can see that they're very, very designed, specific design, as if you would look under a microscope. If someone, you imagine a, someone as big as the universe looked under the microscope at a car, they would see that it was made. It's got an engine. It's got a, you know... Um, uh, parts, working parts that have to work in unison to make it work. So that's exactly what we've got today. So we're in, a, in a, an incredible age where we can use science to prove the existence of God. Amen. Can you see what I'm talking about? Witnessing to people today is a tricky business because what you're going to learn today about witnessing to atheists is not the kind of thing you would use to witness to a Muslim. And it's not what you would use to witness to a Jehovah's Witness or to witness to um, someone who's, you know, in the New Age. You know, each person or each group of people have different uh, uh, needs to be uh, presented to them so that they can see the truth. Is it important? I want to ask you this question. I want to see, a, a see you, your, your reaction to this. Is it important that we get people saved? You know, some Christians can have the mindset that it's not about saving people. It's not about getting people into the kingdom of heaven. You know, you know, for many years, even as a pastor, my mindset wasn't on getting people saved. I'll confess. It wasn't on it. It was on serving the flock at hand. You know what I mean? And serving the people. But it wasn't on getting people saved. So it wasn't um, based on providing you guys with the tools to get people saved. But today we're, we're in a situation where, where the church is the minority. The church is so, uh, when you think about it, when you take away uh, religious kinds of systems in church, like you know Catholicism and Greek Orthodox, where a good portion, there are those that are faithful in those religions. Believe me, there are. I, I know one in particular, um, Dave Ellis, who um, makes our signs for us. You know, the, the sandwich boards that we have out here, he, he, he did them for us. Now, that man is a Catholic, 
but he is, you know, charismatic in nature. He's, um, you know, when I speak to him, he, he watches my videos. He, he just loves what I'm doing. He's passionate about Christ. So not all Catholics are how you sort of think of Catholics. But what we have in the Christian church, we have uh, a very religious element in the Christian church, which is, is the Catholicism and the Orthodox, where a good portion of them aren't really truly Christian. And then we have, um, you know, uh, a lot of the mainstream re uh, religious churches or, or just at least churches that also aren't really stepping forward in, in the realm of trying to get people saved. And a lot of their teaching is just all about the love of God continuously. So a lot of people um, find that not very stimulating to their faith or to the unbeliever doesn't find it very stimulating. You know, and then what you got is you got all these uh, prosperity-based churches and all this sort of stuff. So what we've got is is the church itself isn't really stepping forward and getting people saved. And when I mean saved, getting people converted, getting people to repentance, and getting them in the kingdom, so that when you get to heaven, they're actually there. They didn't get this rude shock on the way that they actually never lived for Christ so they didn't get to heaven because they were told by their pastor that they're saved but they never went through a period of repentance. Is repentance important? Joseph Prince would try to tell you different. And the reason I'm bringing his name up is he's done so much damage in the body of Christ. He's a, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's out there. He's an eloquent speaker. But he's deceiving people, telling them that you don't need to repent. He's actually twisted the gospel, made it a, a gospel uh, or a license for licentiousness, a license for immorality. You can't lose your salvation, but you don't have to repent. You just have to accept Christ and live life as normal. In a sense, that's what he's saying. But if you, if you watch the videos on him, it's, it's absolutely alarming. Repentance has been so little taught in the last 50, 60 years in the sense of, look, you can teach on it, but then you can actually go through it. Do you know what I'm saying? Plenty of teaching, I'm sure, you know, out there. I know I teach on it, and, and many ministers I know teach on it. But how many people actually go through it and come out the other end? How many of them crucify their flesh? How many Christians have crucified the sin nature? How many Christians have been cleaned and washed and made pure so that they can walk in Christ? every single day and live out days in holiness you know and that and that's the questions that started to come to me and that was coming from you know the ministry of eric ludy just sort of woke me up it's like wow i need this i need this sort of a a wake up i need to be smacked around as well who sees what i'm getting getting at is it important because you know what? We can fool ourselves and live a Christian life and say we're Christian and go to church every Sunday and la, 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 la and get to the day when you die and Jesus doesn't want you. And he said, many are going to come before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. Many. Many. He says, many. He says, many are on the road to broad destruction. Then in the same time, he says, many will come before me on that day and, I, and will ask me, you know, why aren't you letting me in here? And he says, I never knew you. So we've got to make sure that we back up our confession of faith with actual transformation, life transformation. If we haven't been crucified in the flesh, get crucified in the flesh. Start to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to deal with a whole lot of stuff. 
I need to get clean. I need to get washed. There's things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. I, I don't think if I said, Sh put up your hand if you're not dealing with a certain sin at the moment. I don't think there'll be anyone in the church that is not dealing with something at the moment. You know? So, that was a long digression to where we were going. But was it necessary to hear that? Yeah? All right, now, why witness? I'm just going to quickly run over these. This was from last week. We, we witness because we're commissioned to witness. The Great Commission is to go out and make disciples of nations. We're meant to go out and tell people. Now, you know what? This is another interesting thing. When you get life transformed, when you're a new creature to the point where everything that is causing us to you know, go the wrong direction in our day is transformed. We don't do it anymore. We live a righteous and holy life in Christ. You know what? The next thing that usually pops to the surface is a love for the lost. A love and a passion to see the lost saved. And ask yourself this question. How passionate are you to get souls saved? Uh, do you care if people are getting saved? And I'm only asking that because you know what? We're in an epidemic in the Christian church where a lot of people don't care. And what I was talking to this guy, Ben Price, on the, on the phone yesterday, and I was blown away because he said, he says, oh, yeah, when I was out um, witnessing the other day and I, 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 they give out, he gives out tracts and stuff, and he says, you know, he was telling me about some incident. And I said, so how often do you go out and witness? He says, oh, pretty much twice a week I try to take to the streets twice a week with a couple of other people from the church. And they just get themselves tracks and they just basically go up and say, hey, you know, have this, you know, give this track. They get good at it as they do it more and more. They get comfortable with handing people things and just making little statements as they hand it to them. And in, uh, over the years, he's done it twice a week. I found that mind-blowing. You know, we need to, as a church, we need to actually take to the streets, I think, you know. Um, it's there's got to be a little bit of of saying okay we need to get out there and get active get proactive in our faith get out there and jesus says make disciples of nations you know we just read about um uh, in the book of acts that uh, anthony was reading for us paul caused such a disturbance in a, in ephesus that the whole of ephesus was taking after his teaching and were starting to reject their gods Imagine if you could walk into a place. Imagine if you could walk into a town of, you know, 20,000 people somewhere in, in the country of, you know, Victoria or something. You walk in and you cause that much of a disturbance that the authorities have to come and get rid of you because people are turning to Christ in the droves. That's what Paul could do. Paul could do that. Should we be able to, should, well, not be, should we be able to do that? You know, Paul's Paul, but, you know, shouldn't we want to have that happen? You know what I'm saying? And, you, you know, we won't be looking over the pit of hell for very long before we realize when after, if we've passed on from this life and we've looked, you know how we talk about in Isaiah 66, there's, you will see hell. And you'll be looking there going, wow, I had a whole life down on earth. I had a whole life on earth. I could have reduced the number of those down there if I had just been proactive with the gospel. I could have saved, if I just put my mind to it every day, I could have got people saved. I could have emptied that a lot of people out of there. Do you know what I mean? But the problem is most of us are too scared to say anything. We don't want to say anything to our 
family because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to say anything to our friends because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to say anything to um, people in the street because we're afraid they'll turn and say, you idiot, get lost, get out of my face. We don't want to do any of these things because we're, we're worried what people are going to think of us. That's pretty much it. That's what it is. We're worried that people are going to not like us, that they're going to think we're Christian nuts. You know what? Paul chose to be a fool for Christ. He was a fool for Christ. And you know what? When Christ returns, who's going to be held up in such an, a place of honor in the kingdom? Then Paul. Paul's going to be up there. Paul's going to be held in such a place that um, <clears throat> the people who he maybe spoke to and who rejected him will be looking and saying, I wish I was that guy. I wish I had done what he did. I wish I listened to that guy. I wish I devoted myself like that guy. But I rejected him. You know, so we don't have to worry if people don't like us now because one day they will know that they were meant to receive what you had to say. You know what I mean? But we can do it with compassion. We can do it with intelligence. We can do it with, um, with uh, a spirit of, you know, love and not an aggressive spirit. Amen. So we can reach people in, in ways. And this is why I want to uh, sort of um, equip you guys and equip myself to start thinking this way. So we're commissioned to, amen? We've got to do it for the love of souls. We've got to do it because we love people. We've got to do it to please Jesus Christ because that's what it's all about is pleasing him. To build treasure in heaven so that um, when we get there that there'll be some amazing things waiting for us because, you know, souls are accredited to us in heaven. Uh, to bless this world because it's we're, the world's in a dreadful state, and doesn't wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone was a sold out, born again, true believing Christian? Yeah, you imagine if the world was filled with fully repentant Christians, would it be a better world? Yeah, if you don't think so, then that's what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be a place where the whole place is filled with repentant souls. And it, that's why it's going to be the most marvelous place to visit. And not visit, live. We don't want to just visit. Yeah, we want to stay there. Um, and we witness to push back the forces of darkness as well, which is destroying our cities. Because Satan's getting the best of us, or the better of us. You know, he's, he's coming in like a flood, and um, the s sin and dissipation is just sort of taking over this, this city and this country. And we're in a, it's in a hopeless situation now. You know, seemingly like we get to the point where even with all the faith and, uh, we can muster, we can't foresee that God could come and turn our city around or turn the country around, you know. And that's, that's a troubling, troubling situation. So what we've got to do is we've got to go for the single person, just the one person. Just get one person saved. Get one person saved, then work on another one. You know, after this message last Sunday, on the Monday, I, I witnessed to one of my piano students for over an hour, and um, the same one I've been witnessing to for a while, but I, I let him have it a little bit, and um, I was astounded that someone could just uh, sear their conscience, consciousness that much that they would not receive the gospel. And it sort of, I got a bit disillusioned because I'm thinking, I'm teaching you guys all this, you know, really, really good points, and then I use those points and nothing. But it was only one guy. You know, the next guy I speak to could completely different. Like when I spoke to Matthew, he just received it 
with joy, you know. So we've got to keep trying, amen. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to uh, quickly rehash the, f the line of question that we, we talked about last week is the first question is, are you an atheist? Ask them, ask them that straight up because if they're an atheist, then you've got, uh, you know how to approach an atheist according to this method. When did you become an atheist? How long? You know, ask those sort of questions. Uh, what caused you to become an atheist? And even we were talking about, you know, how has atheism served you? Has it bettered your life has it made, since the time you accepted that uh, be, uh, atheism is the truth? Are you open to evidence for the existence of God? And if you could be given evidence, would you listen to it? Yeah? Is that a good one? It's a good to ask that because you want them to get into a position where they're going, okay, well, we'll lay it on me. The next one would be something like what you saw in the video, but I had someone uh, tell me that they just gave them, put a, a, put a bottle of drinking water in someone's lap and said, what are the chances that that would have just fallen out of the sky like that? A bottle with a wrapping and, and it's all sealed up and, and it's just as you see there. What are the chances of that? And the guy goes, oh, there's no chance that could just fall out of the sky. So it doesn't have to be a book. It could be anything. Um, and then you say, what is DNA? Do you believe that DNA could happen by chance? And you talk about DNA because the scientists are referring to DNA as a book um, encased in chromosomes like a book um, with genes like chapters. And uh, the information is more advanced than any book ever written by man. And a small, tiny speck of, inf like in one cell, the amount of DNA that's in one cell could fill, what was it, how many encyclopedic volumes? Can you remember? I think it was a 20 to 30 encyclopedias of information is contained in just one simple cell. You know, so that's powerful stuff. And then you say, what is DNA? Do you believe DNA could happen by chance? Do you believe that nothing created everything is, is the next question, and that's where we're getting to now. So do you believe that nothing created everything? One of the atheists in the video, he said, nothing can't perform actions. And I love that. Nothing can't perform actions. So you've got to remember that because if they think that everything that is just came out of, out of nowhere, out of nothing, you've got to say, well, nothing can't perform actions. How could it have done that? Because nothing is nothing. And Richard Dawkins, if you remember this, and I, just, I wrote down his wording because I found it quite bizarre wording. But Richard Dawkins believes that in the beginning there was nothing and that nothing created everything. And he said on Q&A in Australia, of course it's, it's counterintuitive that, you, that something can come out of nothing. Of course it's counterintuitive. And that's the end of the story. It shouldn't have gone any further than that. But he says, of course common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. What's interesting? <laughs> you can't get something from nothing. So why is that interesting? It's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. This is, this is craziness. This is the, the, the ramblings of someone who's not in his right mind, that he would find it interesting that something come out of nothing, yet it's counterintuitive to think that something could come out of nothing. But he gives no explanation to how something could come out of nothing, because it can't. It's just it's ramblings of someone who's not thinking straight. You know, it's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to its origin of the universe. Yes, God. <laughs> but he doesn't want to accept God, so he says something pretty mysterious. But exactly what's meant by nothing, whatever it is, it is very, very simple. 
And you've you, you got to go, what are you saying? That's why the audience laughed in that. Because it's just, that's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid, um, it's not funny. Would you say that there had to be something that created everything just as long as that something is not God? You know, Dawkins calls that something nothing. He calls the something which we call God, he calls that nothing because in his mind it's got to be nothing because he doesn't, he doesn't want to be accountable to it, whatever it is, or accountable to him. He doesn't want to ever, no matter how you get him in, you can back him in the corner, he will not claim that that nothing is actually God. You know? So that's, that's why you, had, you can ask that question. Would you say that there had to be something that created everything just as long as that something is not God? So you're saying it's, it could be nothing as long as it's not God. It's got to be something or nothing, but as long as it's not God. doesn't matter what it is. So you, you've got you've to use that as a bit of a question. If with the Big Bang in space all life came forth, you've got to ask these questions. Someone will say, well, the Big Bang caused it all. Well, then ask questions like this. What caused the explosion? What caused it? What, and why did it bring forth complex, intelligent life and order in the universe and not death and chaos like every other explosion? Every explosion we've ever witnessed on the news, you know, things exploded. What happened to everything that inside the explosion? Just everything was destroyed. Life didn't come forth, did it? Death. Death gets brought forth. So what, what this is saying, when they, when they say the Big Bang caused everything, what they're saying is death caused everything. It's like the Bible says, they worship death. So even to the point of saying something that would cause death would bring forth life ultimately. That's pretty, it's a pretty uh, sick philosophy, in my opinion, to say a bang, an explosion, would give rise to life. And where did all the material come from which caused the Big Bang? Where did the material come from? How did it just happen? Again, questions that they like to answer like this. Oh, we're not like you Christians and think, we, you think you just know everything and you know the origin of the universe. We like to be a bit more humble than that. We don't know what caused it. We don't know what brought forth the material world. And they're proud of the fact that they can say that because it, it makes them feel like they're being humble and they're being more, um, you know, uh, handling the truth better than us who claim just to know it. You know what I'm saying? So, but the, the truth of the matter is there has to be a God because something had to cause it. Nothing cannot cause something. So you've just got to go with that sort of line of thinking and reasoning. Can you sort of see it? Could you easily argue that point now, do you think? And when I say argue, I don't mean you know, an argument with yelling and screaming. Just could you discuss this sort of a reasoning with them and keep questioning them and re-questioning them? But where did that come from? Oh, well, it came out of you know, some soup. Yeah, but where did the soup come from? Oh, well, it came from you know, the, the matter that came out of the Big Bang. Yeah, but where did the matter that came out of the Big Bang come from? Oh, well, that just sort of compressed all the matter in the universe, compressed down into a little... Yes, but where did all the matter in the universe and how did it compress down and what caused it to press down and where did that come from? You know, because we're trying to... You have to keep getting them back. The beginning, guys, right back before any material thing existed, where did it come from? And if you get them back far enough, they can get to the point, and that's where they go, well, we don't know. 
that's where you can say, well, doesn't that tell you that there has to be a God that placed it there in the first place? Doesn't that just lend itself to that because it's unreasonable to think that nothing could bring that about? Do you see what I'm sort of saying? You can reason atheists. Did that video prove that you can reason atheists into, into uh, belief in God? You can, yeah. It's uh, evidence there. An atheist believes that nothing created everything. You know when you ask an atheist, and I've, I've done this many times, so what do you believe? And they go, no, well, it's not a belief system. It's a non-belief system. We don't believe in God. So it's, we don't believe anything, so we don't have a belief. They clearly do. They don't believe in God, but they believe in no God. You know, an atheist doesn't believe you have any purpose in life. This is the hopelessness of atheism. They don't have a purpose. They're just, you know, they're here to procreate and die. And they're young, procreate and die, ultimately. You, you know, they, they have the best time they possibly can in the meantime. They live life and, you know, they don't care if they die young, a lot of them, because they just think I'm, it's all about just having a good old party and getting out of here. I've done my job. So really all, all atheists should really have children, shouldn't they? If that's their belief. An atheist believes that nothing created everything, which is scientifically impossible. You're not just the blob of nothing that came from an explosion which created order, which, which is against nature. This means that you've got purpose and meaning in the universe. The question then should be, is what you believe actually true? That's what you've got to press them to. You've got to get them to the point where you say, well, is this true? And does truth matter to you? Does truth matter? to the atheist or do they want to just accept what they've come to accept so we got the question which came first the chicken or the egg and if you if someone says the chicken you can say well when it laid the egg was the egg fertile and you remember the look on some of those guys faces they're like right and if it was the egg you got to ask well was the egg fertilized and the eggs if the egg came first only one chicken's going to come out of it and then that chicken has to lay an egg and that egg's not going to be fertile even if it was fertile. So the answer is this, the chicken and the rooster. That's the answer. And which means a, a, another, yeah, it's, you've got to have a male and a female. But they, they think evolution solves that dilemma as well. And I've heard what they, what they think too in relation to it. It doesn't sit with me in any way, shape or form. Um, I remember uh, one of my students was saying that he's got at home this shell like a, he reckons it's millions of years old and that all life came from this one creature that was in the shell. And the shell encasement kept the, sh kept the creature alive while it evolved inside and formed and became the different kinds of species that we have today. I'm like, you, you actually believe that? And he goes, yeah. And I said, you, you can't accept Noah's Ark and that God put two of each kind on the ark, but you can accept that everything came by via this shell creature and that all life as we know it came out of that shell. And he goes, yeah. How can you win with someone who believes that? Before the chicken had eyes, you've got to ask this question. How did it see? And the eyes had to evolve, didn't they? So what did it do while the eyes were evolving? What did the chicken do? Just mope around blindly. And did it have a brain? It couldn't have had a brain until the brain evolved. So the brain had to evolve for the chicken to have a brain, and they don't have a very big brain. 
But with no brain, what would happen? The chicken would just lie there, wouldn't it? Without a brain, how did it think to look for food? And where did the food come from that the chicken ate? And, and why did the food evolve? And why did the chicken move at all and not just lay dead? You know, if you take a brain out of someone, do they live? But they, they try to tell you that everything just occurred in this shell. The chicken fully formed, popped out with the perfect mate. And my question is, well, how long is that chicken going to live until the perfect mate comes along that it can procreate with? Because, you know, if that takes another million years between the two, that chicken's going to be dead. And that's one chicken dead, and they have to get another one that's got another chicken inside of it so he can pop out and come up and, and still might have to wait another 500,000 years until the, the perfect male comes out. It's a stupid theory. It's really, really stupid. And how did the chicken breathe before it got lungs? And which evolved first, its blood, its heart, or its blood vessels? Which one came first? You've got to ask these questions. If you're going to be a scientist and you're going to hold to a theory of evolution, you've got to ask these questions. They're sensible questions. Atheists get their nose out of joint when you ask them. They get really mad. They don't like it because it's, it's putting the obvious to test. The most obvious questions you can put to the test are these. And, they, and, I, and they'll say, no, well, that's not how evolution works. Well, explain it to me. How? And they can't. That's where they, wanna, they don't want to go any further than that. They won't answer that question. And when they try to answer it, it sounds like hogwash. So much easier to believe that God created all animals perfect with a male and a female, put all the working parts together and clicked his fingers or spoke and bang, they stood up and they were alive. Perfect working organisms. They made it and they had chickies, little chicks, chickies, <laughs> chicky babes. You know what I mean? Isn't that, isn't that more sensible? Of course that's more sensible. No, that's, to them that's a fairy tale. We had to come out of some primordial slime and crawl up on the beach. It's just ridiculous. You know, if it was the heart, why did the heart evolve without the blood? And if it was the blood, why did it evolve if there was no heart to pump it around? And if there was no blood vessels, how did the blood get around the body to keep it alive if there was no heart to pump it? So which came first? And when the chicken evolved, how did it survive the lapse of time between the rooster evolve, evolving? Bad English by me. Yeah, if the chicken evolved, how did it survive that lapse of time, as I said before? You can ask all these same questions for each and every animal as well, for every single bird and fish and how did they survive? Even a lot of plants too. You know, you can't get a zucchini without a, a male and a female zucchini bush, you know, or at least flowers. So if you don't get the, the male and female, not bush, but flowers, if you don't get the male and female flower, if you only get a male flower, you won't get a zucchini. And therefore, you won't get the seeds for the next crop, you know. So isn't it the wonder of God that he would just create? And then he created bees to come along and pollinate them. And, just, and in their little job of, of uh, getting the pollen for, to make honey, they, without even knowing it, on their little feet, they pollinate the zucchini bush. It's just a marvel. It's just a wonderful thing. It's like the most beautiful ecology. 
you know, the more you study the ecology of life and how things all fit together, the more you realize this is clearly designed. One animal's there to, you know, and have you noticed that the animals that get eaten the most, there's the most of, and the animals that get eaten the least, the least of. You don't have a million lions running around in Africa at one time, in one place, but you get a lot of buffaloes and you get a lot of deers and a lot of all those things and all the things that they eat, like grasses in abundance, you know. So you get a lot of them because you only, if there was more lions than them, the lions would be dead before you know it because there wouldn't be enough food for them. So that just that's just one example of how ecologies are just perfect. So some things breed easier than others. Uh, of the 13, and I've, I've talked about this before in a message, of the 13 or so bodily systems of a human, which one evolved first? Because, you know, by right, evolution wouldn't be true. You couldn't use evolution. If, if all the systems came at once, it can't be called evolution, can it? If they just had all the systems in one hit, or at least if... Um, they were kept in a shell until all those systems emerged at once. Like that would be one small little human, by the way. It would have to be a big shell to house a human. And, and what they're sort of saying is that now the shell is becoming this miracle worker, creating all these different creatures, you know? Because that shell's got a lot of work to do. How many creatures has it got to create? You know? So it doesn't account for this. Of the 13 or so bodily systems, which one evolved first? Could your muscular system survive without a heart and a circulatory system? Could the skeletal system move without the muscular system? And could muscles move without the nervous system and the brain to operate them? You can't have, you know, 12 of those 13 systems and evolve the 13th system. Without one system, the thing's dead. You take the skin off a human, how long do they live? Do you need the skin? Yeah. You have to have everything. You know, take the heart out of a human and wait for the heart to evolve. Will the human live? No. So all the work of evolution would be destroyed if it gets most of it there but misses one thing, that thing will lay dead and then it, the evolution, has the whole process has got to start again. Let's see if we can make it right this time. Oh, but we've got billions of years. You need more than billions of years. It, it's just improbable to even think that it could possibly happen. It just won't happen, can't happen. It can't happen in that process. Sure, let me say this as well. I believe in, in microevolution. What that means is changes in, within species. If you breed a long, uh, enough long-haired dogs together, eventually you'll only get long-haired pups. If you breed short-haired, you always bring the short-haired dogs together and you keep breeding them, eventually you get nothing but short-haired pups. Amen? We see this all the time, don't we? Right? It's, but that's why I can believe in it, is because it's, it's evident. But does that mean it all happened by chance? No. It means that God made microevolution as a design feature. It's a design feature. It comes in us. <laughs> it's inbuilt. Pardon? Yeah, yeah. So the body, uh, you know, if... It, it, it works for every animal and, and like they even do it with fruits and stuff and they, you know, they graft certain fruits together to make other fruits. You know, if you put a peach, peach tree and a nectarine tree together, you get a peacherine, you know. 
it happens. But that's not because it's some miracle of nature. This is, this is God. This is what he's enabled to happen among his, the things he's created. It doesn't prove evolution. So that's why when someone says, what about at the Galapagos Islands and the, the finches' beaks, they changed shape. They went from long to short or something during a drought. And I'll say, yeah, so what does that prove? Oh, that proves evolution, that we all came from primordial soup. No, it doesn't. It proves that the finches' beaks naturally adapt. It's called adaptation. You know? And so, oh, sorry? Acclimatization, yeah. Beaks went back to normal. Yeah, yeah. So it all, it all fits into a design feature. Now, are these things important to consider as Christians? Like, you know, many of us can, many Christians can go through their life not thinking about these things. And do you know how many Christians have actually uh, left the faith because their biology teacher taught this evolutional stuff to them and they go, I can't believe in God when this guy's telling me that it all happened by evolution? Do you remember a few months ago I preached on a, a subject very similar to this? Um, when I, I preached on, you know, um, you know uh, creation versus evolution and all that. Do you remember? We were in the other room. And at that time, uh, Ben and Sophie were there and their boy um, Jacob was there and he was about to do a class the following week and it was um, in science and they were going to start studying evolution that week. And the weekend, that weekend I preached on you know, the foolishness of evolution, basically. And he, um, he came up to me and was like, you know, really thankful that I had came, uh, come to him with that message just at that time because now he, he's not going to get fooled by his biology teacher. But many Christians are, like so many Christians that I've, uh, I've heard on the internet, on YouTube, that are discussing when they turned to atheism was in their biology class where evolution was taught. And because they're not equipped in their church, if they're not teaching on this stuff, um, people can easily fall. Especially kids who just have to learn to accept what the teacher says is the truth. You know, The human body needed every system at once to survive. Take away one system and the human dies. Is that true? If evolutionists claim that the human creature evolved all the systems at once then what you begin to get is a description of the beginning as described in Genesis where God made man complete and whole with all his systems intact at once and then God breathed life into man and he stood up. That's what they're basically saying. Evolution is just about becoming creation. It's just about coming and saying, no, well, you know, that I know you can't have a, a, a human survive with one system less. Well, what happened is all of those systems evolved at once. Well, over how many billions of years? Like it's going to be dead, 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 all the way until it suddenly they have all the systems at once, but it's dead. Like God made man and all the systems were made. Was the man alive? No. God breathed that magic breath, you know, <laughs> that breath of God, that breath, that breath of life. We don't know what that is. Science hasn't even discovered what God breathed into that man. And it certainly wasn't a, you know oxygen thing that he just put. It wasn't that. There was something in it, in the breath, that just made everything turn on. It's like a flick and a switch. And it, the whole body just started to hum, you know. It was alive. What was that? 
See, they can't account for that in evolution at all. They can't account for everything coming together at once, but where's the breath of life coming from that make, will make that man stand on his feet? And at the same time, you know, well, we know that Eve was made from the rib of Adam. I don't have trouble believing that. It's easier to believe than man was made in a shell or in a primordial soup. <laughs> he took a rib, used the DNA, obviously. <laughs> everything is finished with a partner of the opposite sex. All systems intact in perfect working order. When God created all things, he said it was finished. So everything is finished. The fruits, the flowers, the birds, the animals, the fish, the reptiles, everything is finished. And I thought I'll throw out something else. Um, this guy that I speak to about God says, um, because the, the, the human creature is flawed, like for, um, you know, um, they have only a limited lifespan and... and the eyes can't see very far, you know, out into the universe. The, the eyes are limited and, and all things are limited. And, you know, we have limited capacities. He said, well, that means that God's not that great because he, he could have he designed a better creature, all right? And I'm going, no, no, what you're talking about is you're expecting God to have made a creature which, as Christians, we know as imperishable. Right, we we're going to receive. Are we going to receive an imperishable body when we get to heaven, or when at least when Jesus returns, we receive that the resurrection, we get an imperishable body that can't die. You know. Now, what he's talking about is he's expecting God to have made us like the creature that we're going to inherit when all things come. So, um, yeah, they don't want to accept the whole Adam and Eve story that man fell because of Adam. And that's, I said, well, now you've stepped into theological areas and he didn't want to go there. And I said, well, if you want an answer, it's theology and then you have to believe the scriptures. But it's a perfect answer, isn't it? Man fell who was supposed to live forever and now he's got a limited lifespan. And he's plagued with different things, you know. Suddenly to turn the soil is hard labor. And by the sweat of the brow, we'll turn the soil. Andy knows all about that. Digging trenches, hard work. Yeah, so, um, sorry? Was. <laughs> yeah, so they don't want to uh, accept the, the, the theology of, of the scriptures into the whole equation. And uh, does that make it um, difficult to explain to someone who's saying that sort of stuff? And all you can say is, look, um, even if the eye isn't as perfect as you expect it to be, it's still a marvel of science. It's an absolute marvel of science. Um, the book that uh, Ray Comfort had given the, the uh, couple of atheists that he was talking to, the book was about, I think, 21 inventions that were made by studying uh, creation, by studying creatures. Like the, you know, the needle, the mosquito, uh, they studied the, the nose of the mosquito, or whatever it is, the needle of the mosquito, to make needles the way that we have... Um, Syringe. I was going to say syringe, but I thought, is that the right way? Syringe, yeah. Um, and, of course, the eye, from the, from the studying of the eye, all the photographic equipment and uh, video cameras and everything else was sort of based off that. And there's lots of inventions. This book has got 21, which would be worthy of having a look at. Reverse engineering. Yeah, exactly. What it does is it disproves evolution and establishes the Bible in saying that God created everything fully finished. Because is, the, is creation fully finished? Does every dog have a 
partner? Does every cat have a partner? Does every man have a partner? And I'm not saying like individual. Is man and woman out there? Yeah. Is does is if for every male sparrow is there's female sparrows too? You know what I mean? Everything has its partner if it requires it. I don't think worms need partners, but that's just one of those funny things that God, I reckon, did in, in just up there, you know. Let's make one that doesn't need a partner, you know. And something, yeah, and some spiders eat the male after they've finished with them. Just funny little things that God does. But God, that shows how creative God is. He's an amazingly creative God does not prove evolution in the least. Does God exist? Do you think God exists? So you can get to this point. Do you trust your eyes? That was one of the questions he says. Is there such a thing as the sunrise? Your eyes will tell you that there's water on the highway. Who's seen that when you're driving down the road and you see water ahead, you know, on a hot day? Any sleight of hand magician will tell you not to trust your eyes. The Bible says he trusts his heart. And what, he, what I think he was getting to with that was that um, atheists trust their heart. They believe there's no God. But it's not reasoned well that they believe. Their belief system hasn't been reasoned um, correctly. If they would give you guys the time of day to be able to impart the, to them what you know and what you believe, you could get them to turn. Because they haven't reasoned this through. So... That's how you've got to see it. You've got to see your atheist friend as if you could just somehow reach them with, with the concepts, especially things like this, and your own understanding of it all, you could actually help them to see the truth by through reasoning and not to trust their heart on it. Define what you think God is, and this is an important one. The reason most people are not Christians is because they have a wrong concept of what and who God is. They are idolaters. They form a God in their minds, fashioning this God with their own concepts and explanations. And then they claim that this God of their imagination is the God who the Christians worship. Many create a God who is a monster with no sense of mercy or justice and who hates humanity. Like when you hear atheists, when they start talking about God, God is the most horrible God you can imagine. And it's funny that they've already got in their mind exactly who God is, even though they don't believe he exists. They've already made that you know, they've got that understanding. So what they say is, I'd rather not believe in God because if God exists, this is who I think he is, therefore he doesn't exist. That's like, that's ignorance. Put your hand up if you've talked to someone about God and, they, and someone who doesn't believe in God and then they've told you who they think God is. Have you ever had someone tell you who they think God is? Yeah? How many of you got? Just so I know, if you're not putting your hand up, you need to speak to people about God. Um, there's a lot of... A lot of people have got a real mixed up, contort um, twisted version of God. And, you know, this w I, I, I would suggest you try this this week. Who among you would be willing to try to speak to one person this week? Yeah? Do you reckon you could find one person that you could sh just sort of discuss and, and say, hey, aren't you an atheist? And they'll say, yeah. Why are you an atheist? Tell me. And get them talking about it and let the conversation evolve. And if it's in, but pick your moments as well. But is there someone you can think of in your mind that you could talk to about God? Have you got children that don't believe? Have you got friends? Have you got brothers or sisters or cousins? Yeah? 
Well, think of someone, and I want you to try, try this, because you're going to, the learning experience is incredible. Um, but approach it really, really sensitively, but you'll find that you'll be blown away by the answers. And, and you'll find straight away that most of them are idolaters. They have fashioned a God who is not the God of the Scriptures. It's a God of who they think is the God of the Scriptures. And it's usually a very twisted and distorted view. All right. The sin of defining God. An example of this kind of idolatry is Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. Now, you're probably not going to get a, a worse description of God, I think, from anyone. But he said this, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, he must have had a thesaurus going, racist, infanticidal, like, what's that word? Genocidal, philicidal, phil yeah, that's right, I think, pestilential, megalomaniacal, maniacal. <laughs> I tried to say this a few times. Sadomasochistic, <laughs> capriciously, a malevolent, fully, I can't say any of those words, forget that. I'm not intelligent enough to say that, obviously. <laughs> Can you believe someone could write that? What happens when Richard Dawkins shows up before God on Judgment Day and he says, um, Richard, ah, nice to see you. I'm just going to read something that you wrote about me. <laughs> Is he going to feel like the biggest mug in the universe? And do you know how many people he's leading into atheism from Christianity? And that's his view of God. He's leading multitudes. He's actually an evangelist. Yeah. And this is what we got. This is the problem. Atheism is now an evangelistic, has an evangelistic outreach. And it's huge. And it's growing more rapidly than the Christian church. And that's not the only threat. We've also got Islam growing like two to three times faster than the Christian church. We've got Jehovah Witnesses that work non-stop to get people into their deceived religion. We've got Mormons that ride around on push bikes continuously trying to get people into their religion. And what does the Christians that know the truth do? Well, we, go, we, we try to get the church on Sunday. <laughs> and we have coffees after and have a nice chat and <laughs> talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> shame, shame, shame. And guess what? I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm, I'm not doing what I should. But what's the commission? What's the great commission? Make disciples of nations. And, and what have we, well, we got? The atheists making disciples of nations. We've got the Muslims making disciples of nations. And don't forget about Hinduism and the New Age. They're rising. And what's happening is it's infiltrating into the church and all of their teachings, you, you'll get some churches that you'll hear Jehovah Witness teaching. Like as soon as you start hearing someone say that Jesus is not the Christ or not God, that's a Jehovah Witness teaching. That's infiltrating the church, the mainstream church. People don't believe that Jesus is God. We're, we're fighting at the moment. We're fighting a losing battle. But you know what? We're not even fighting. We're sitting back and letting it happen. You know, that's why I was blown away when uh, Ben Price said to me, he goes out twice a week and witnesses on the street, does the best he can. And he says it, has, uh, he, he loves it, he has the most fun out there, he meets so many interesting people and he has the most incredible conversations. Melbourne.
So it, there's certainly room for us to to get a little bit more serious with the faith. Amen? Because one day, you know, in 20, 30 years, at the rate that Islam is growing and the rate atheism is growing and everything else, 20 to 30 years' time, our society could be a very different place. All the women might have to wear a burqa. You know, it could change that dramatically in 20 to 30 years' time. It's spreading. And atheism coming in, like, you know, the school system now, you can't teach creationism at school. They think you're, you're teaching uh, fiction, a fantasy, something that's not true. They believe this garbage about evolution is true and it's forced in the schoolroom. They have to teach it, even in Christian churches, if, uh, Christian schools. Yeah, there's actually, they're trying to get laws now that forcing Christian colleges not to teach creation, but forcing them to teach evolution. They're trying to get that passed. It's going to be a hard road for them, but I, I, I think they, they stopped praying in most schools. Like when we were kids, I remember we had all had religious classes. There was a time in the week we all went off to different rooms. A lot of you younger ones wouldn't have um, ever experienced that. Did you? You wouldn't have seen that either, did you? Would you, Anthony? Oh, Catholic school's different. Yeah, yeah. No, we were in just in public. evolution thing yeah yeah did you have a religious class you didn't you missed it i i think i had one or two years of it and that was it and guess what i was an atheist brought up an atheist and in the religious class this lady was a lovely lady i remember i can't remember her name but i remember her talking to me about god and she woken me to god i was like yeah 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 god yeah i accept that and man it's boiling has that gone off, has it? Could you flick that on again for us, Stephen? Is, oh, just suddenly realised I'm hot. Um, and this woman was telling me about God, and I can't remember the wording she was using, but I remember I was, I was awakened to the reality of God. And she was the only person who ever spoke to me about God. And I was ready to receive it. And then, then the class got cancelled and, and you had to go. She continued the class but in her own home. And uh, there was a whole, I remember the day that she was leaving to go to her class. And my mum, my mum, they were atheist parents, but they let me make my own decisions even as a young boy. They never tried to tell me not to receive Christ and all that. They do now though, but that didn't then. Um, and... Uh, and this lady was leaving and she, she said, Robert, Robert, come with me. Come with me. We'll go home to my place to religious studies. And, and uh, I sort of was looking and my mum was going, do you want to go there? And I, I sort of went, uh, no. So I stayed with my mum. In some ways, maybe for the better because at the right time I was ready. But if I had massive exposure, maybe I might have not wanted to be a follower at that, from that time. But, um, but that's the influence that could have has now been lacking in the uh, public schools is kids don't get exposed to God anymore. You can't talk about God. Vina used to get in trouble for you know, talking about Jesus Christ at Christmas time and reading stories about you know, Jesus in the um, manger and all this sort of stuff, and she couldn't read it. She got in big trouble for doing it. All right, now I'll finish on that. Um, Who's been enjoying this? I just want to get a gauge of reaction. Do you think it's valuable information? Yeah, just to sort of, you know, throw these sorts of things at you. 
um, it's it's good for you to sort of test your reason, you know, and 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 basically see different approaches that you can use, because I tell you what, you know, who would like their families to go to hell? Who would like their children and who would like their you know? None of us want that, so we really got to start, you know, equipping ourselves. And this is why uh, Matthew has always um, been a big fan of apologetics. From the moment he got saved, to he would just frequent Kurong and he'd go straight to the apologetics section and just buy books on apologetics. And because he just wanted to have, well, just to bolster his own faith. Firstly, wasn't it to know that okay, this thing that I believe in is in fact true. I've got that much evidence; I can't deny it. Um, but also when it comes down to it, if someone gets into a serious discussion with you, you're not going to be a, an easy pushover. You're going to have stuff that you can uh, come back with. Amen? All right, so th- thanks for listening and bearing, bearing with me today. We'll pray and then we'll um, have a coffee. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you um, help every one of us here to um, really grow from this information. I pray that every one of us will... Um, take from it and take uh, some direction from it in the sense of uh, the things that they've learned. Um, and I pray that all of us, you'll put it on all our hearts to try to reach out to people in the oncoming weeks, Lord, that we can start to try to use logic and reason to reach them and, and then bring in um, even more uh, uh, things that can uh, bring conviction to them and, and, and get them saved. I pray that you make us all soul winners, Lord. I pray that by the power of the Spirit that you'll come upon us and move us to become soul winners. People of, uh, that can uh, lead a man from no belief to total belief and uh, becoming uh, repentant and turning to Christ with all their heart. Lord, to many of us, we, we think this is just a pipe dream that we couldn't achieve. But Lord, please make it a reality in our life that somehow that your Spirit can just move through us and cause this to happen in the people that we speak to. And I pray that you give us a boldness and a confidence to reach out uh, to others in the name of Jesus, I pray this. Be with us this week and bless it, Lord, and uh, may we have a wonderful week um, and bless the time of fellowship that we're going to have now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.